A new adventure. I've now been in Rwanda for almost a month, and what a time it has been. On March 11th, I flew from Montreal to Kigali. The flights were a total of 16 hours. It was nighttime in Kigali when I arrived, and my boss Alexa picked me up. The first night, I stayed up chatting and getting to know my new colleague and roommate Sophia at the Airbnb. I went to bed excited about what was to come in Rwanda. The next morning, I woke up quite early because the birds were so loud. The silence at night back home in Canada was something that seemed so normal. For my first full day, Alexa showed Sophia and I around the city. Then at around 4 p.m., while we were at a restaurant, the jet lag hit me hard. I was struggling to focus on the conversation because so much of my energy was going towards trying to stay awake. When I got back to the Airbnb just before 6, I went to bed, thinking I would sleep all through the night catch up on all the missed sleep from the flights. Boy, was I wrong. I woke up at 1 a.m. My mind was racing, so I was wide awake. During that time, I felt alone. I'm halfway around the world with no family or friends nearby, and I couldn't fall asleep. I did question whether I made the right decision to move to Rwanda. At a certain point, I decided to stop fighting my brain and watch a TV show. I watched Drive to Survive, which was a great show to watch at that time, because I didn't have to pay much attention. I was watching the show, but my mind was elsewhere. It felt like my mind was going as fast as those cars. At around 5 a.m., I finally fell back asleep. Those four hours that night felt like mental torture. The first adversity I hit on this new adventure. Each night afterwards over the week, it got a little easier to fall asleep, and it helped knowing that I made it through that first night, so I could get through anything. At least that's how it felt. It took about four days to get over the jet lag. While in Kigali, I had some onboarding training to prepare for my work in Gadagara, and Sophia and I also explored the city. One afternoon, we went to the Genocide Memorial, which was quite eye-opening. Going into it, I knew a bit about how it happened, but I learned so much. I now understand why it's considered one of humanity's greatest failures. In the years before it happened, there was already extreme tension between Hutus and Tutsis. There were mass killings of Tutsis in different parts of the country, and there were even informants telling the international community that their things were about to boil over and there would be serious conflict. But the world ignored it. Then, when the president's plane was shot down, within a couple hours, the genocide started. Within 100 days, a million Tutsis were killed. UN peacekeeper Romeo Dallaire, who's from Canada, who grandfather later met, made a report asking for 5,000 peacekeepers so they could settle the conflict. The UN Security Council denied this request. The world turned a blind eye, and even worse, was weaponizing some extremist groups. Many of these weapons came from France and Belgium, as if these countries had not damaged this nation enough already through colonization. The world had so much information and chose not to act, and the people of Rwanda paid for it. The Genocide Memorial had two sections that were especially powerful. The first was a children's exhibit, which profiled children as young as newborns that were killed. It had their pictures, as well as personal information about them, like what their favorite food was, what their personality was like, etc. 
It really personalized the victims of the conflict and was extremely sad. The other section was shocking. I walked into the first room and it was clothing and belongings of victims. Then I walked into the next room not knowing what it was. It was a room filled with rows of bones and skulls of victims. I took one step in and froze, body and mind paralyzed, horrified at what I was looking at. A break was needed after that to wrap my head around what I just saw. The genocide was unbelievable. Firstly, because of how tragic the events were, but also and how impressive it is that this country has rebuilt itself into a well-functioning society that has good infrastructure and is very safe. The roads here aren't as hectic as other African countries, but there is a flow to it with cars and motorcycles maneuvering around each other. In Kigali, I had my first moto taxi ride, which was exhilarating. The wind blowing on my face, taking in the stunning views of the city as I firmly gripped the handle at the back of the motorcycle. Moto taxis are now my mode of transportation. After a few days in Kigali, we drove to Gadagara, the village that I'm working in that is just outside of Nyanza. The drive was two hours with beautiful views of the rolling hills of the country. There's a reason why Rwanda is called the land of the thousand hills. As you look out to the hills, you see a lush landscape with so many different shades of green. My camera doesn't do it justice, but luckily Sophia has a new iPhone, which has an amazing camera that captures the beauty of this place. When we got there, we met the team we were working with. Minko, the head coach. Fred, my program assistant, and Solange, another program assistant. All three of them are Rwandan. Immediately, Fred and I hit it off, talking about NBA, music, and TV shows. My first few days in the village were lots of fun. I was introduced at the program to the players and coaches and learned more about the work I would be doing. With the office team, we usually have lunch together. It's the village's specialty, brochettes, which are goat skewers and potatoes. It's delicious and cheap. We have it almost every day and it hasn't gotten old, at least yet. Within the first couple of days in the village, the neighboring kids named Demor, Irene, Kenny, Devine, Bosco, Ildefonse and de Gracias were already calling me Coos. I hang out with them most nights and they love working out with Fred and I on our DIY bench press and cement weights. One night, the kids took me to the night market in the village. It was cool to see the local community, but also the first time I blended in. Because it was dark out, no one could see that I was a white person. When I, walked ar- when I walk around, in the, especially in the village, everyone is staring at me. Some of them excited to see me, and some of them are just curious about why I'm there. A lot of kids follow behind, almost like the paparazzi. It does feel like I'm a celebrity, which at times is cool, but other times a nuisance. I just try to smile and wave, throwing out the little Kenya Rwandan that I know. Muraho, Amakuru, Meza. Hello, how are you? I'm fine. My first weekend in the village was eventful. I went into Nianza, the closest town, and bought some produce from the market. All the vendors were signaling for me to buy from them. The most persistent salespeople were the shoe vendors. 
When you're getting fresh fruit and vegetables that are grown in the place that you're living in, it's a game changer. The mangoes and avocados are huge, and the bananas are so sweet. The next day, the kids convinced me to play some football, which we call soccer back home. When I was ready to call it, they asked to let them keep on playing, which I allowed. Within an hour, I swear almost the whole village was at our field. I was stressing a bit because I wasn't sure if we were allowed to have that many people at our field, not knowing what the restrictions are in this new country that I was in. It was absolute chaos, with kids playing and fighting and more and more people showing up. One of the kids told me that since they finally had a good ball, they would play all day until the night, which is pretty much what happened. Being the new guy that didn't speak the language, I was nervous to grab the ball and stop the game. Eventually, I got the courage to do it after they already played for six hours. The next weekend was also interesting as I made the trip back to Kigali. I took the bus with Fred and Solange. When I got on the bus, I had to sit on a shitty chair that folds out into the aisle. These buses are slightly bigger than VW wagons, so they're crammed. Within a couple minutes, a woman starts reaching over me, and I'm quite confused at what is going on. I look to where she's reaching, and it turned out she was teaching the woman on my other side how to breastfeed her newborn that was, she was holding. Now that's something you wouldn't see on the bus back home. I felt quite awkward in the middle of it, but was also marveling at this authentic, genuine experience I was sitting in the middle of. In Kigali, I stayed at a hostel called Mamba, where I relaxed and swam in the pool. That weekend, I went to some great restaurants and saw a basketball game at Kigali Arena. By the end of my time in Kigali, I was ready to get back to the village, which is a good sign that I'm enjoying where I'm at. So far, I've been surprised at how smooth this life transition has been. It is odd seeing people back home on social media, but I'm surrounded by some good people that make up for it. There's lots to explore, and I'm excited to share this adventure and chapter of my life with this podcast. Much love. Coos.